Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message.
How are you, church? Good. Uh, good. Thank you. Whoever asked back, that was awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm doing well. It's great to be uh, with y'all. For those of you that I haven't met yet, my name is David Walters. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at the Vine Church, and it's awesome to be with you guys on our church's birthday. Can we just celebrate one more time? Turning 12. That's awesome. 12 is a weird age, right? Because it's like the, the, the tweenager, you know, the like preteen. It's just an awkward stage of life, you know? And so uh, it's kind of a, but not necessarily that way for a church, I guess. Although I, I generally say when people ask like, um, what's your church like? I was like, okay, just equate the year of a church with the year of a person. And uh, that's generally what you get. I mean, how many of you grew up in like the 125 year old church? You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, but the same is true of like the 12 year old church. So, so we're, we're trying to get there. We're trying to figure our way in life. I love celebrating our church's birthday. The reason we don't call it an anniversary is because when you start a church, it is like birthing a child. And, um, and so uh, we don't celebrate anniversaries of people's lives. We celebrate their birthdays. And so we're celebrating our 12th birthday today. And I love to do this just because I, I think this points to God's glory and God's favor over this place and over our lives together as a church. Um, most new churches don't make it past two years of life. Over 80% of churches that start close down before they make it to their second birthday. In fact, when we started this church within six weeks of each other, there were six other churches in Brazelton that started at the same time. Now, I wish all of us were around, but there's only one that's still around, and that's the mine. Um, there, um, not, only, not only did we, we kind of make it through those infant days, um, but God has blessed us in a tremendous way. I don't know if you know this, um, but only um, 2% of churches in America have the size of reach that we have as a church. Only 2%. So when people come and, and they ask me about the church, I'm like, man, we're a huge church. We are a huge church. Only 2% of churches have the reach that we have. And, and so uh, I think that's worth celebrating. I think that is worth saying and repeating every year because what that is evidence of is God's favor um, and God's blessing. We've done a lot of stuff on our own. 
But there's so much that we can't do that only God can do. Only God can save. Only God can transform lives. Only God can can cause a person to turn from selfishness to selflessness and to serve others. And so we've seen God's favor here, and it is worth celebrating. And the highlight of our birthday celebrations over our years together have been a recap video. And so every year, uh, Robbie Pancake, well, not every year, but for most years, Robbie Pancake, who's back in the back, y'all uh, wave, wave Robbie, and then y'all say, hi, Robbie. Yeah, um, he has produced videos, and um, what a creative guy, because every year he comes up with something different, and this is the video that he produced for us this year to take a look back at year 12. good stuff. That's great stuff. It's great stuff. And for all the great things that God has done, there's no doubt that God has more in store for our church. And here's why I know that. Only about 30% of our surrounding community is actively engaged in their faith and actively engaged in a church. That means that about two-thirds of our population that we exist in 
um, still needs to discover that God loves them, that God desires a relationship with them, that there are a group of people called the church that are ready to be in community and life with them. And so we've got a, a pretty large mission when it comes to reaching not just the community, but the entire world. There are still about 1,200 people groups, different people groups in the world that have never heard the name of Jesus, don't have a Bible in their native language, or don't have a church within access to them. And so we've got this huge mission, and our vision is to connect the world to Jesus Christ. And when we say connect the world to Jesus Christ, that sounds great because it seems like, hey, we're encompassing all that Jesus wanted us to encompass. However, the practicality of that is difficult. And so the practical way that we go about that at the Vine is through our mantra, one till everyone. One till everyone. And we'll just go one at a time. And as long as there's one person left who doesn't know that God loves them, then we have uh, more to accomplish. And so that's why we're in this series, uh, especially leading up to Easter, where we're talking about what it means to be a church centered around a mantra, one till everyone, and what that means for you and for me in our, our lives uh, to reach one until everyone. Uh, today, we're going to talk about finding lost things. How many of you have ever lost something? If you've ever lost something, go ahead and raise your hand. The only reason your hand's not up is because you're one of those like duds that doesn't want to participate on Sunday mornings, right? You're like, preacher asked me to raise my hand. I'm not going to raise my hand. He's going to count that in salvations or something, you know? And so like, like that's why you're not participating. Everybody's lost something. How many of you chronically lose something? Like you lose it over and over and over again. And how many right now you're judging those people that have their hands raised because they're losing things? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I got a, a piece of advice for it, it is, hey, everything has a home. It just put, put that thing in the same place every time and you won't lose it. I'm not, I'm not judging you, I'm just saying, okay? I'm not judging it. All those other people were judging you, but I'm not. I'm not judging you. Yeah, how many of you are married to somebody that chronically loses something? Yeah, that, that's it. Put your hand down. <laughs> put your hand down. Yeah, like at our house, we, we developed this system because car keys were getting lost the other day all the time, not by me, but somebody else who drives in our house. And so we've got this little nice little table right right inside the front door, and we've got this bin right there, and it's the key bin, and you put the keys in the bin, and that way you know where the keys are at all times, right? And so, so the keys go in the bin, um, except for when they don't. You know, on Friday, I had to take the Toyota minivan, Liz's minivan, to the um, dealer to get, it, to get it worked on just a little maintenance. And guess what? The keys weren't in the key bin. So I was like, hey, Liz, where are the keys? And she was like, in my purse. I was like, of course, you know, of course, in the, in the purse. And so I go and get them and, um, and I drive and get things serviced. And when I got back, I was like, I'm gonna be a good husband. Instead of putting the keys where they're supposed to go, I'll put the keys in the last place that she put them, which were in her purse. So that was great until Friday night. We decided we were going to go out as a family. We worked hard. We laid four pallets of sod together as a family at the house. We're not for hire. Anyway, and, um, and so we took the kids out to get some dessert, and uh, we got to, to go. And, uh, we, of course, we had to take the minivan because we got, like, a whole bunch of kids. And so um, I go to the key bin. The keys aren't in there. And I'm like, man, I'm looking on the table. I'm looking on the I had outsmarted myself in the effort to be a good husband. <laughs> Because, and I put them in the purse. I was like, of course, good husband, put them in the purse. Right, so, hey, everything has a home. You've lost something, I've lost something. How many of you have lost something and then you prayed that you would find it? That's how desperate you were. You prayed that you would find it. Yeah, here's a cool story. Um, about a year ago, one of our staff members who's not, no longer a staff member, her name's Becky Hand. She was overseeing our outreach uh, ministries. Um, she was coming into our, our time of prayers on Thursdays. And at that time, it was from four to five in the afternoon. And she walks in and she's kind of like 
like flustered. And we were like, hey, what's wrong? And she said that her daughter, Claire, who lived in San Diego, but who was skiing in Northern California, had lost their keys on the slope. And so she tells us the story and she's like, you know, sharing the story with us. And she actually shared with me the text thread. We were skiing and Michael, that's Claire's husband, stopped to change his music and he accidentally left the pocket of his jacket open. It had his phone and his keys in it. He got to the bottom of the run and was going to change the song again and realized his keys were missing. He went and re-skied the run a few times to look for them. Yeah, right. All right, yeah. Um, when we stopped for lunch, he told me he lost his keys. We called the locksmith and key companies, but none of them could re-key the car because it was too new in the technology, and, um, in the technology, et cetera, and the closest dealership was super far away. We called lost and found to, and no luck. Um, it said the only spare they had was back in San Diego. So we, we were like, hey, we pray for for lost things all the time at this time, let's pray for keys. Let's pray that they would find their keys. So we prayed, and while we were praying from four to five, now all the way in Pacific time, they go back to their car, their car is unlocked, and there's a spare key in the glove box that they didn't know was there. Now, you might think that's a coincidence. In fact, if you're here and you're skeptical, we got a great series for you at Easter. Um, It's great for skeptics, but we don't think that that was a coincidence. We believe that God answered that prayer because how many of you just routinely leave your doors unlocked when you go to public places? (laughs) Not many people. How many of you keep a spare key in the car? (laughs) Word to the wise. (laughs) It doesn't do any good if it's in the car, all right? So we believe that God answered that prayer. You don't have to agree with us, but we believe that. And one of the reasons that we believe That is because we believe that God cares about the things that we care about. Number two, we believe that God cares about lost things. We believe that God cares about lost things. And more than keys, we believe that God cares about lost people. We believe that God cares about lost people. And and if you're here for the first time and you hear lost people, maybe that sounds a little negative or derogatory. And, and, and I don't mean for it to be that way. In fact, I think that the, the term lost people maybe got hijacked a few decades ago with like TV evangelists or people that have kind of abused or misused the word lost people. Um, but what we're gonna discover today is that the term lost people or the phrase lost people, it's not derogatory in any way. It's actually a term that communicates God's love for us and God's endearment towards us. And let's be honest, how many of you have ever felt lost in your life? I mean, yeah? I mean, since we're raising our hands, we might as well just keep going, right? How many of you have ever felt lost in life? And we get lost for all kinds of reasons. If you've ever gone through Winder, it's kind of hard to get through Winder, right? Yeah, um, Liz, Liz one day was like, got her keys. She had to search to find them, but she got her keys. And I was like, where are you going? And she was like, Winder. I was like, why? And she was like, I got to figure this place out. And I was like, what? she got lost every time she went through Winder. Yeah, but I'm not really talking about like getting lost in a town or, 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 or like, you know, just getting lost towards a destination. I'm just talking about feeling lost in life where you just don't, you don't have a sense of direction you don't have that like internal GPS that's saying, hey, you know, in this decision, this is what you should do. Or um, in this kind of movement in life, this is what you should do. You have those moments. Or, or maybe you just, 
you feel kind of lost because you just don't know that you're found or you just don't know that you have significance or that you're known, you know? And so maybe you just kind of feel lost in, in like school and, and in your class, you sit at your desk and you're like, am I known? Like, do, do my classmates know me? Do my teachers know me? Um, you, you get in life and you go to a job and you have to do this adulting thing and you're like, am I known here? Like, it, it, does anybody recognize me? You get on social media and you post things and you're like, I'd only got two likes. Am I known on social media? Like, what? You know, and so we go throughout life and we feel lost at times. And, and then sometimes we actually are lost. And, and I'm not meaning like, again, like geographic location lost. I'm just talking about we are lost. Like we are apart from our guide in life. We are apart from the, our, our, our destination towards our preferred future that our creator has in store for us. And we're just lost. Or we're operating in some lifestyle or some choice, some sin, and we're just living apart from our creator and we're, we're lost. So, so when we talk about lost people, the reality is we've all felt lost and we all have been lost and maybe some of us in this room were still lost. It's not a derogatory term. In fact, what you're about to see is the complete opposite of that. And if you brought your Bibles or you've got a Bible up, I want to invite you to go with me to Luke chapter 15. Uh, Luke is uh, an account of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. It was written down by this guy named John. No, Luke. And uh, Luke, he was a doctor. He was a physician. And he states at the beginning of his account that he wants to write an orderly account of Jesus's life, his death, and his resurrection. So he wants to be as precise as he can. And this precision, we're going to see in the way that he accounts for Jesus telling three stories back to back to back. They're called parables. If you want to know what a parable is, it is a fictional story. It's a made-up story that makes a factual statement. And typically, the factual statements are about God and God's kingdom, the way that we um, can understand God and the way that God wants us to live in this life called the kingdom of God. And so what we find in these three stories, back to back to back, are three statements, three statements that are consistent in all of these stories. I'm going to read the first two stories, and then I'm going to recap the third story for you. This is an orderly account, a precise account that a doctor would give to you as he recounts the story that Jesus told. Beginning with verse 1. Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners, and this is you know, purely coincidence that in a week from now, there's tax day, were drawing near to him. And the Pharisees, they're very religious people and scribes. These were like experts in the law. They wanted to give precise like writing of the law of God, grumbled saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay, so you know the picture. Jesus hung out with people that weren't like the like super religious people. In fact, they were irreligious or they were non-religious. Jesus is hanging out with them. Jesus, now look, Jesus like understands this. Like Jesus is that mind reader that freaks you out. And so he tells them these stories based on what was just said. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, 
there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let me just ask you a question real quick before I read that second story. Anybody not need repentance? Yeah, that, that was the right answer, by the way. Good job. Second story. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Just raise your hand uh, if, if you don't need repentance. Raise your hand, anybody? Okay. The third story, man has two sons. One son, the younger son, comes to his father and says, I wish you were dead. Can I have the inheritance that is due me? He gets his inheritance. He goes to a far off country. He squanders it. Basically, that means he lived a sinful life and he squandered everything that he had. He squandered it to the point where he was poor and he was working a poor man's job in a way that was very unclean for a person of his religion to where he comes to his senses And he thinks, hey, it would be better for me if I were a slave in my father's house. So he makes the return trip home. And then the Bible says that while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, made haste or ran to him and gave him a bear hug and then threw a party for him because his son who was lost was found. His son that was dead was alive again powerful story where Jesus clarifies for those that were questioning his life, his existence, why he was here, when he says on two occasions, I came to seek and save the lost, what that means, that it's not derogatory in any way. In fact, it's a term of endearment because here's the first point. Maybe you want to write it down. If something is lost, it has value. If something is lost, it has value. Something of value is lost in this story. There's some intrinsic value that these three things have for the person who loses them. Now, you have lost things that you're not even aware of them being lost. If you have a minivan, there's a good chance it's in there. If you have a junk drawer, there's a good chance it's in there. But there are things that are lost that you're not even thinking of. You won't think about it. You're not gonna get there until you discover that they're alongside of that French fry that's been in there for 12 years that still hasn't molded and has not disintegrated. Like, like, there, like there are things that are lost, but you have no clue that they're lost. When you realize something's lost, it's because it has value to you. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Braden and I were heading down to, to Atlanta to go to a Hawks game. I got to play basketball on the court before the Hawks game. It was really cool. Actually, it was really sad being 42. Was, that court's really big. And, um, and so, so we were going down to Atlanta and I, I, don't, I don't carry a whole lot of cash on me anymore. Um, so I said to Braden, I said, Braden, hey, can I borrow 20 bucks? Because the parking lot that we park in, it's $20 parking. And, um, and I said, can I borrow 20 bucks? He's like, sure, dad. Actually, you know, like, like he said, what do I look like, an ATM? Like, I'm like, hey, that's, that's my line, bro, not your line. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. But, um, but um, 
He is like an ATM though, because he has like a bunch of cash. Like he has more marginal money than any of us put together. Like I'm pretty convinced of that. So anytime we need cash, we take out a loan at Braden Banking and Trust and, um, and we pay it back. So, so he goes to get the 20 bucks and we're about to leave. And he's like, I'm missing $40. He's like, I'm missing $40. And I was like, oh man. So he's like running around looking, trying to find the 40 bucks. He's like, I bet mommy took it. Do you, you have anybody in the family that does that too? Like, <laughs> yeah. And so he's like, I bet mommy took it. So I was like, well, give her a call and ask her. So he calls, he asks, and she doesn't, she doesn't have it or she says she doesn't have it, you know? And so, so he looks just a second, but we gotta go. So we get in the car and we're driving down. We're 85 inside the perimeter. And he's like, I just can't figure out where that 40 bucks went. And I was like, $40, $40, $40. I was like, where was that $40? He's like, it was in my wallet. I go, yeah, I got that $40. I got the $40. Because see, the weekend before was Believe, which was our middle school retreat, and I'd given him $40 to go and spend it. He didn't spend it, so I was like, that's coming back. Have you ever, you got one of those kids that like, <laughs> you got one of those kids that's like, hey, I need some money. You give them some money, they don't spend it, and they just pocket it, you know? So anyway, I got that 40 bucks back. Turns out he did spend 12 of it. So anyway, I owe him a little bit more money. Anyway, so we kind of worked that out yesterday. But we were sitting there thinking, I was like, a week went by, and he didn't think about it. But when he recognized the value of $40 to a 13-year-old, now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden it was valuable. When you recognize something is lost, what you're recognizing is that it actually has significant value. There's significance that's to it. And if you don't consider something as lost, that is lost, then it doesn't have value to it. So when Jesus says, when he's questioned either externally or internally by religious people, why he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, and he responds by saying, I came to seek and save the lost, what he is saying there is that anyone who feels lost and actually is lost spiritually is a person of great value. It's why we sang the songs we sang this morning. I don't know if you picked up on it, but in all the songs that we sang this morning, we were affirming God's great love for us. His great love for us that we quote when we memorize John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So much value that he would give his son so that you could be saved. Like that's the value. And that leads us to our second point, which is when we discover something is missing, then it warrants an all out search. When something of value is lost, it warrants an all-out search. And he tells these stories. And the first one, listen to the all-out search. The shepherd leaves 99 to go after one. That's all out. Uh, the woman who's lost one out of 10 coins, 10% of her net worth, she sweeps the house. Now, I don't know if you've ever done a deep clean, but when you do a deep clean, you move the furniture, you turn over the furniture, you turn the whole house upside down so you can get that deep clean. She's trying to find 10% of her net worth and she turns that house upside down to try to find it. And, and then the father who neglects business and neglects family to wait on the porch to see that son who was lost, who's hoping would return, who is in his mind maybe dead, hoping to see alive, waiting, waiting, waiting. I mean, I know that he didn't go out to the far off country and, and do a search for him, or maybe he did. We just don't know that part of the story. 
But what I do know is that he was waiting, and when he saw him far off, he ran. He ran the distance. He pursued him. In all these stories, we get a glimpse that something is so valuable that it warrants an all-out search. All out to the point where some things that, that seem important get neglected. I don't know if you've ever lost a pet. You ever lost a pet? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm guessing nobody in here is a shepherd. Anybody a shepherd? Okay, no shepherds. But pet owners, pet owners, you lose an animal. I mean, you go through a search, right? You neglect your pets to go after the one. If you have multiple pets, we got a lot. Anyway, if you, you go after the one. Anybody ever lost 10% of your, your net worth? Yeah, you'll neglect the 90%. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, we'll pray for you at the end of the service. Yeah, you go after that 10%. Hey, listen, if, hey, have you ever lost a child or thought you lost a child? You, you lose your mind. It happened to us at the aquarium with Carly, our youngest, who's teeny tiny. And she was lost. And that was the longest, longest few minutes of my life. And you just, you lose perspective. You go. You neglect other things to, to find the one that's lost. It's an all-out search. You, you're willing to look like a fool. You're willing to do things that normally you wouldn't do in order to find the one. And you'll do it until you find the one. Listen, did you notice that? The doctor, with the precision of, of a doctor, writes that Jesus said that the shepherd searches until that the woman searches until. We get the sense that the father waited until. That word until, it, it, it's, I know it can be something that we look over and we gloss over, but, but something of value is lost that the all-out search was until. And you lose a pet, I mean, hey, you're gonna call some neighbors, you're gonna drive up and down the street, you're gonna put some signs that say lost cat. Well, maybe not lost cat, but lost dog, you know I mean? <laughs> Don't send me an email tomorrow about that. And then that's it. And then you're going to wait. You're going to wait for somebody to call you. You lose 10% of your net worth, you're going to search until you find that. At some point, though, you might give up. You lose a child, you'll never stop searching for that child. Never. Never. This is the heart of God for those that feel lost and that are lost. And, and God calls all of us that are found, all of us that are found to be a part of this all-out search party until the entire world is found. He, he calls all of us that are found to, to go with him. And you see, I, I, I get bothered by the 99 that are left behind because I'm like, hey, if, I mean, I know it's sheep and I know sheep are stupid and I know they don't have a choice and all this stuff, but like I, like I feel like I should be with the shepherd because if, if, if the shepherd's going after the lost sheep and I'm left behind, then, then I want to go where the shepherd is so I'm not lost. I, I mean, I feel like if I'm in the story with the woman and she's turning over the house and I'm not helping search for the coin that's lost, then I'm just an obstacle in the search. I, I feel like if, 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 if a brother or a sibling was lost and my father's waiting to see for him to come home, that if I'm not hanging out on the porch and probably like the older guy in the story, if you keep reading the story, he's just throwing a pity party. I mean, if you feel lost, if you are lost, 
God has done everything to find you. And he is doing everything to find you. And he is still pursuing you. If you have been found, if you're, if you're that son who has returned because you were once lost and now you're found, if you were dead but now you're alive, then you are called to be a part of the all-out search for that. And if not, then it questions whether we're actually found or not. Because found people find people. So, so we become a part of this search party. And then when we search until a person's found, when that person's found, we throw a party. We throw a party. Uh, the, the, the common, third common point in all of these stories is that when that which was lost was found, there's an all-out celebration. The shepherd comes back with the one, calls his neighbors, his other shepherds, and he's like, I found the one. Let's throw a party. The woman, she gets her 10% of her net worth back. That's a lot of money. She throws a party with part of that money. The father, when he sees his son a long way off, runs to him, wraps his arms around him, declares that they're having a party and they're killing the fatted calf. Apparently he's Texan because they, they ate brisket that day. Not pork, that's not kosher anyway. But anyway, they threw, a, they threw a brisket barbecue party. All out celebration. All out celebration. And Jesus says it's like one sinner who repents. Now how many of you didn't need repentance? Mm, yeah. It's like one sinner who repents. There's a party in heaven. The angels are going nuts. And that's why our church's birthday celebration is a big deal. Because of hundreds of people who have repented and come to faith in Jesus. And now have the assurance that they'll spend eternity with him and have a transformed life where heaven invades their life and they start living in the kingdom of God. It's why um, those that are hosting services and they get up almost weekly and say, hey, last week we had one, two, three, or more people give their life to Jesus Christ. They they don't have to coach you to clap. You just clap. You know why? Because that's what heaven did the moment they gave their life to Jesus. It's why we don't have to coach you when people come up out of the baptism waters like they're gonna do on Easter Sunday and be like, hey, now, guys, when they come out of the water, you guys should go crazy. No, we say, hey, they're gonna go crazy for you because you know you're connected to heaven. You know that when that person comes out of the baptism waters in heaven, they're like, "Woo! Do you see that person come out of baptism waters? There's a party going on in heaven. And that's why we celebrate because if we're in tune with the spirit of God, we know that lost people matter to God so much that there's an all out search and when they're found, there's nothing better. Maybe that's why Tony Campola, who is a pastor, he's a seminary professor and he's an author, wrote a book called The Kingdom of God as a Party. And I've told this story on Sunday mornings before. This is so good. I'll keep telling it. If you've heard it, just play along. It's been a long week. Play along, okay? Tony Campolo, um, the seminary where he teaches and, and uh, where he pastors in New Jersey. So he's on the East Coast. He took a trip to speak out in Hawaii. Um, anybody gone from East Coast where we live out to Hawaii? Anybody? Anybody gone out there? 
I'm not, not bitter. I'm just saying, I'm not bitter. But you know that like if you travel that far, there's, there's like that gap in like your time, like you're messed up, your clocks are messed up. So, so Tony goes out there to speak at this conference and he just can't, he can't sleep. He wakes up super early Hawaiian time and um, he got up early that first night that he was there and uh, he was hungry. So um, you know, on his, his clock, it was breakfast time. So he goes and he tries to find a diner and he finds this old greasy spoon diner. And he goes in, it's about 3.30 in the morning when a night shift of prostitutes walk in. Some of y'all are like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it gets better. <laughs> so, so they come in and they're loud, they're obnoxious, they just finished their shift. And so they come in and they um, start talking and, and one of them says, hey, it's my birthday tomorrow, I'm turning 39 years old. And another one of the prostitutes looks at um, this woman was like, what do you want me to do? Throw a party? Create you a birthday cake? And the woman was like, no, I was just telling you. And she was like, I don't need you to do anything. In fact, I've never had anybody do anything. I've never had a birthday party. Never had a birthday cake. So they got up and they left. And Tony's sitting there and a guy named Hank, who only a guy named Hank could run a diner, who owns the diners behind the counter. And... Uh, Tony says, Hank, do they come in every day? He said, every night they come in. He said, hey, I got an idea. How about tomorrow night we throw a party? Throw a party for her. He said, oh, for Agnes? He said, yeah, if that's her name. Oh, Agnes is nice. She deserves a party. We'll throw a party. And Tony said, well, I'll go get the cake. He goes, no, I own a diner. I'll bake cake. Tony's sitting there thinking, "Uh, you know. (laughs) So he goes and he gets some streamers. He gets some balloons. He said, I'm going to get here at 2.30 tomorrow night before they get in. So he comes back 2.30 the next night, puts up the uh, streamers and balloons. Uh, Hank, he's got the birthday cake there. Happy birthday, Agnes. They walk in at 3.30. Surprise! She starts crying. They walk her to the bar stool or the counter stool. They sit her down at the counter stool with a cake that says, happy birthday, Agnes. She starts weeping. And Hank's back there and he's like, you got to blow out the candles, Agnes. Don't make me do it. You got to blow out the candles. And she goes, Hank, can I just hold this for a moment? She never had one. So she gets a birthday cake. She's holding it. She just leaves. She leaves. When she left, Tony said, can we pray? What she says looking back was kind of a weird thing to do in the moment. But he prayed. And then afterwards, Hank said, hey, what do you do? And Tony said, well, I'm a pastor. And Hank said, no, you're not. You're not a pastor. Because pastors and churches don't throw parties for prostitutes. And Tony said, I'm a pastor of a church that throws prostitutes parties at 3.30 in the morning. And the guy said, those don't exist because if they did, I'd join one. Church, today we celebrate our birthday. And when we're done, you're going to walk out there and we've got a bunch of Publix cupcakes. Come on, buttercream. Mm. 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 Oh, sorry. And you're going to walk out there and one is available for you. If you hang out and you're the last to leave and there are more, you can take more with you but one's available for you. 
And when you go out there and you take a bite of that cupcake, I want you to think about all the Agneses. All the Agneses who were lost and have been found through the ministry of the vine. But as you finish it, I want you to think that our church is not done reaching prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Out of creation, there at the start, for the beginning of
The 